I know getting ready to church, to come to church, can be a little stressful. You know, to get here on time, all of us probably went through a whole range of emotions. Joy, that we get to praise God and see our whole church family. Uh, Fear, that we forgot to pray for someone when we said we would, and we're going to see them today. (laughs) Sadness, that it's Sunday today, and tomorrow's Monday, and we're back at work. Except, actually, it's Memorial Day. So we get Monday off, so we get back to joy again. (laughs) But the emotion I want to talk about today is anger. Yes, that one. We try really hard to suppress and not let it get the better of us. The one that causes us to inflict the most hurt on others and ourselves. Actually, here is a clip that describes anger perfectly. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? Well, get to know your emotions. When things go wrong, anger is there. This is anger. He will make sure the world knows anger is in control. But what you really need to watch out for is when he's out of control. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. Yes, that that was taken from a movie, which you've probably all seen, uh, called Inside Out, which is a film which beautifully describes what it's like to be a kid growing up, but uses the device of making the uh, the kids' emotions the main characters and how they deal with a huge life change the kid is facing in the real world. It's a story that shows children in an honest way and shows that it's difficult to grow up and be sad about it sometimes. Now, when Brad, a few weeks ago, asked me to preach this week, he, gave me, uh, he said that I could choose any subject. Um, and I didn't have a clue what I was going to talk about. Um, I was really stewing about it for a while. And, um, you know, it's sometimes easier to give a talk when it's part of a series because you have a little bit of direction. And so I was kind of floating around wondering what the heck I was going to do. Um, and then one day I was taking my son to daycare Um, so I could concentrate on getting some church work done and uh, try and at least get some inspiration uh, for my talk. I was proud that morning because I had got both me and my son ready to leave the house with plenty of time to spare. And I decided not to put Fletcher's sneakers uh, on as he was travelling inside the the stroller and he would not need his uh, sneakers on as he was travelling at daycare. So... Not at all because they're high tops and they have a ridiculous amount of laces and zips. You know, Fort Knox is easier to, to, to get into. So I slung them in the bottom of the stroller and I was about three quarters of the way when the stroller bounced over one of West Philly's wonderfully structured and jutting out paving stones when one of his sneakers jumped ship and bounced out of the stroller. I went back, picked it up and slung it back with the other. Except, where was the other? I searched wildly under the stroller, getting more and more infuriated. It was nowhere to be seen. This meant I had to go back and trace my steps and retrieve this runaway shoe. All that joy that was created from being organized and on time just flew out the window and was replaced by pure anger. I was steaming. I had to cover Fletcher's ears at the language that was coming out. You know, it was particularly French. I eventually found this shoe, and um, I was so mad, I felt the shoe was mocking me. (laughs) 
I eventually arrived at the daycare and was just too mad to acknowledge anything or say goodbye to my son because of this escapee shoe. I phoned my colleague and I said I wasn't going to come to the office in a very rude and curt way. And now that I didn't have time, I was going to work in a nearby coffee shop. I arrived, ordered coffee and sat down. I then came to my senses and laughed and realized what an absolute plonker I had been. How a shoe had got me so hopping mad. And then I was struck with inspiration. I should do my talk in anger. I do have a very quick temper, and I've always struggled to control it. But a couple of big life changes made me more aware of it, more aware of the damage it does and how to control it better. The first life change was getting married, and the second was becoming a father. So when you're married and you have kids, you're not living on your own, obviously. You're in close quarters with someone a huge percentage of the time, and they are witness to all your behaviours. They'll be impacted by them, influenced by them. And I've realised since that having these amazing people in my life, what my anger can do, and I have needed to do something about, about it in order to control it. I am the type of person who, when troubled or unsure about something, will start reading and researching into it. And as you probably guessed, I am not a uh, certified psychiatrist. But I really wanted to understand more about anger and why it exists. I I discovered a fantastic poet and philosopher called David White, who hails from Yorkshire, England, um, but now he lives in the US. And he wrote an essay on anger taken from a book called Consolations, the Solace, Nourishment, and Underlying Meaning of Everyday Words, which really got me thinking on my view of anger and how we approach it. And this led me to me, as a Christian, how I use my anger to deal with certain situations. So I'd like to read you an excerpt from his essay. Anger is the deepest form of compassion for another, for the world, for the self, for a life, for the body, for a family, for all our ideals, all vulnerable and all are possibly about to be hurt, stripped of physical imprisonment and violent reaction. Anger is the purest form of care. The internal living flame of anger always illuminates what we belong to, what we wish to protect, and what we are willing to hazard ourselves for. What we usually call anger is only what's left of its essence. And when we are overwhelmed by its accompanying vulnerability, when it reaches the lost surface of our mind or our body's incapacity to hold it, or when it touches the limits of our understanding, what we name as anger is actually the only incoherent physical incapacity to sustain this deep form of care in our outer daily life. The unwillingness to be large enough and generous enough to hold on to what we love helplessly in our bodies or our mind with the clarity and the breadth of our whole being. I think what White here is, he's trying not to be an apologist for an anger. He's trying to make peace with our internal war with ourselves. In fact, it's probably an internal battle with ourselves being vulnerable. As being vulnerable is where other feelings are born. Joy, courage, love, accountability and authenticity. So this got me thinking on how Jesus was when he displayed anger and what that means and how we can learn from that use of anger 
and use it in a constructive and meaningful way. What you say? Anger can be a good thing. That's crazy. Well, to help me explain this, I'm going to look at a famous passage uh, from John 2, 13 to 22, and it's for, uh, where Jesus clears the temple. I'm just going to have a sip of water, sorry. It's a bit hot. <clears throat> so, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves, and others sitting at a table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all, the te- uh, all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. For the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that he had spoken. Now, I just want to give you a bit of an explanation on what's going on here and why Jesus reacts the way he did. Now, during the festival of Passover... Faithful Jews would travel all over uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And part of this celebration and other Jewish holidays would be to sacrifice animals. So rather than bringing your own animal over hundreds of miles, a BYOA if you like, um, you could actually bring, you know, buy your animal at the temple. Now because Israel was under Roman rule, everyone had to use the Roman currency to buy things. But at the temple... It was forbidden to use the Roman coin. And so you had to exchange uh, it into the Tyrian coinage in order to, order to buy the animal and pay the, the temple tax. So that is why money changers and animals were in the temple. Now, while the practice of this was not illegal or really wrong, business people being business people abused this by charging an exorbitant exchange rate. And this is partly what made Jesus angry. But the main reason Jesus is angry is because the religious leaders had made his father's place of worship into a marketplace. Now, I want to look at Jesus, uh, closely at Jesus' anger and break it down and show why his use of anger is justified and ultimately showed his vulnerability. But it also helps us come closer to God and help us use his model of anger. So I try to break it down into a few points. The first being Jesus' anger had the proper motivation. Now, Jesus arrived to Jerusalem and heads straight to the temple. He wants to get to work straight away, and the best place, obviously, to do this is the temple. As we read in verse 14, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting, uh, sitting at tables exchanging money. He gets there, and he's confronted by animals and birds everywhere, tables and money, and it looks nothing like a temple, but something more like a market. This is his father's place, where people are supposed to come and worship his father. And instead, he is confronted by business and money-making. Of course this would incense him. Now, if somebody came up to my wife and and son and verbally abused them in front of me, 
these two people that I'm meant to absolutely love, cherish and protect. And I said nothing, emotionless, detached, and let my family take the abuse. What kind of person would that make me? Someone who isn't in touch with reality, not human. Now, of course, my base reaction is going to be anger because somebody is hurting and abusing my family. It has the proper motivation, a good cause. But it's all very well having the proper motivation. But generally, where we fail is how we deal with and channel that anger. We hear numerous stories of how people who have been wronged in the beginning and react in a very destructive way and damaging way. And that only escalates the problem. And the only outcome is hurt and resentment on both sides. Jesus' motivation is his father's place is being abused and people cannot worship God, how God really intended. But then Jesus uses this situation to teach how anger should be done. And so the outcome is positive and not negative and destructive. In this passage, we see that most people had the right intention to come to, all the way to Jerusalem and to the temple and to make a sacrifice to God, as it said in the Jewish law. They made a huge trip here. And um, lugging a smelly, dirty animal all the way, when you can purchase one right at the place, well, that makes a lot, lot of sense. We like the easy route. But, and it's a big but, this created an opportunity. People saw a way to profit and gain from the people's need to worship. It's a bit like here at Mosaic. If our council decided to come here, we build a nice little box office in our welcome area and then sold tickets to come here and worship. What do you reckon? 20, 30 bucks? I think that's a pretty good deal for what we offer here. Awesome worship, awesome speakers, great kids' ministry. We would charge for coffee too. Maybe get Starbucks to sell it. Surely we wouldn't worry about money again. Well, hands up here, who would honestly buy a ticket? Come on. Not even for a macchiato, frappuccino, caramel with a cream on top latte? No, I wouldn't either. It would totally prevent and put off so many people coming from our church, inhibit our mission. And those who did come in would really expect to get something for what they paid for. This leads me to my next point. Jesus' anger had the proper focus. Now, if we look back to the passage in John 2, 16, to those who sold the doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His focus was on the people that were selling the animals and exchanging the money. No one else. These were the people that were causing the problem. His anger was targeted on their sinful behavior and their exploitation of people coming to worship. When we lose focus of our anger, there's always fallout. There is always an aftershock. There is always collateral damage. Other people get involved. Other people witness it. And almost innocent people get hurt. And it's generally always people we love, or people we respect, or people we want to reach out to. Now, Marvel's superhero, the Incredible Hulk, he is famous for his anger. In fact, his whole superpower is based on anger. Hulk is the alter ego of Bruce Banner, a socially withdrawn and emotionally reserved uh, physicist who physically transforms into the, uh, the Hulk under emotional stress. Um, and now, even though the Hulk is portrayed in the comics as a hero, like I said, his powers are fueled by anger. 
the more angrier he becomes, the more powerful he becomes. And his anger is totally unfocused, even though he's after a villain. He stops at nothing to catch them. And because, because of this, he causes so much collateral damage to the property of others, to others, his, so much. His alter ego, Bruce Banner, has become a loner, drifting from town to town. He doesn't let anyone have a close relationship with him. And he knows how damaging the cult can be, even though he is a force for good. Now, I know I'm using a comic character to illustrate the damage unfocused anger can do, but it really does damage the important relationships to us. Jesus never lets his anger become unfocused. He didn't get angry at the people coming to the temple and buying animals, even though they were, in a sense, causing the demand for a trade. He targeted the true injustice, and that was causing, um, and that the trade, and that was the traders and the Pharisees, who had let this business happen in the first place. He never affected the people that he wanted to build a relationship with. And then this action again moves me to my next point. Jesus' anger had the proper control. Jesus never lost control of his anger. Let's look at John 2:15. So he made a whip out of cords. He drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You might be thinking, okay, Jamie, I think you're right about the motivation part. You're good in the focus part, but surely from this verse, he lost control, right? I mean, he got a whip and was flowing furniture around. Well, did he? The reason why I chose John's version of this story is he is the only one that includes this, mo- this moment because he seems to be more concerned with the deeper meanings of this event in Jesus' ministry. 15 states that he made a whip. Not that he grabbed a whip in the heat of the moment. He made a whip. Now, I've never made a whip, but I'm assuming that making a whip takes time. And so his ang- actions were not done in a flash of anger he realized he needed a proper tool to get the animals out of the temple. And if he was out of control and jumped wildly about to scare the animals out, he would have lost focus again, and innocent bystanders could have got hurt in the stampede. No, he needed a tool to drive the animals out. He never lost control. Like I said earlier, I have an extremely quick temper, and I do my utmost to keep it in check. But since becoming a father, this has been a real challenge. My son is about to turn two, and I'm about to be dad for a second time. And to be honest, as much as I'm overjoyed by this, I'm absolutely bricking it. As a full-time stay-at-home dad, as much fun as it can be, it's certainly a challenge. Like I said, Fletcher is turning two, or sometimes I call it the terrible twosomes. And sometimes I see that creature raising its ugly head sometimes. Like all men, I'm incredible at multitasking doing the washing, cleaning, the house, you know, mending things that need mending, cooking, and all this while trying to keep my son entertained, who is either trying to enroll in the Hollywood Stuntman Union by jumping off the highest piece of furniture, or testing the thickness of our walls by charging at them full tilt, or thinking that the dog's water bowl is a bath and he needs one while fully clothed. Or this is the best one, turning my vintage speakers into a rare custom piece of crayon art by the world-renowned artist and enfant and terrible Fletcher. <laughs> so my temperature has been raised a few times, 
And sometimes it's justified. But I've been guilty of losing control. Fletcher is still young and learning. And if he sees me wildly bellowing and cursing at him, he's gonna, what's he going to learn from that? I don't want him to learn that that's the way we express ourselves when we are mad at someone. Of course I want to realize his, make him realize his actions and or his choices weren't the best. But I can do that in a calm and measured way and hopefully influence his behavior for good, but also have an impact on him and how he deals with something when something makes him angry. I don't want my brokenness to break him. And so Jesus was sent by God to start something new, to influence people into a new way of thinking, how to, their relationship with God works. It wouldn't have got very far or had a positive influence if they saw an angry young man running around out of control, destroying stuff. Jesus needed, he knew that he needed to be an influence for the good. Jesus' anger had the proper duration. Anger has the horrible ability to hang around. If it, isn't def- uh, if it isn't dealt with and, left, and is left to fe- fester and it can turn into bitterness. If we don't deal with it or forgive ourselves, the person, the situation that caused our anger, then it leads to even a worse situation and even more suffering. Jesus showed that the, he, he did this, as we see in verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at Passover, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed his name. If uh, Jesus had brooded over what happened in the temple, if, like most of us, he would have probably not been able to do his job properly. He would have sat there and grumbled and maybe moaned about the Pharisees. On top of this, he knew that his ultimate sacrifice was just around the corner and that he would be put to death. Why should he bother? What's the use? No, we find him back in the mix, preaching at the temple he's just cleared out and putting the temple back to use how God intended He didn't hold grudges. He forgave those and move on. Forgot about it and carried on with his mission. Now, I've witnessed and experienced friendships, marriages break down because they have not been able to move on and have let the situation ferment. I'm also a DJ, and this means I've always uh, DJed a lot of weddings. It's a privilege to see people from all walks of life commit their lives to each other. And part of the reception that I enjoy the most is hearing the toasts or speeches. This is where people tell stories about the couple and impart advice. And two, uh, two pieces of advice that continually come up are, one, communicate with each other constantly. Talk to each other at the end of the day. And the second one is, don't go to bed angry. Now, they might seem obvious pieces of advice, but they are truly the best. Because if we don't do this, they really prevent you from what a marriage is created for. And the same advice can be applied for friendship. When communication breaks down, anger becomes bitter. It truly stops what friendships is about. It stops your mission in that relationship. Jesus could have let his anger prevent him from bringing people to faith, but it didn't. It brought people to faith. Jesus is not petty and hold things over people. This brings me nicely to my final point on on Jesus' anger. Jesus' anger had the proper result. Jesus' anger had the inevitable consequence of a godly action. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that Jesus was always held in check by the word of God. After all, it was in his DNA. 
And his mission in this case was to stop man's abuses on God's place. And therefore, it was to accomplish God's will. See, in John 2, 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Here, the disciples, after seeing Jesus clear the temple, are reminded of the Psalm uh, 69, verse 9. For your zeal of your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. This was Jesus fulfilling this psalm, taking on man's abuse against God and bearing its weight. But he did not let the weight of those insults against God stop him from bringing God's word. In fact, it propelled him further to accomplish bringing people to know God in a more authentic and personal way. In Matthew's translation of the story, the result of Jesus clearing the temple, the blind and lame were healed. Jesus' uh, children and were singing and praising Jesus and God's name, recognizing who he truly was. In Mark's translation, the people are amazed at his teaching. And finally, in Luke, they hung on every word. People would not have been able to do that if Jesus had used his anger for, uh, for good, uh, uh, did not use his anger for good, sorry, and cleanse the temple. I really don't think they would have heard the good news about God if Jesus asked the merchants nicely to get up and leave. I want to go back to where I started, to David White, and on his essay on anger, and how he concludes. Anger, truly felt at its center, is the essential living flame of being fully alive and fully here. It's a quality to be followed to its source, to be, to be prized, to be tended, and an invitation to finding a way to bring that source fully into the world through making the mind clearer and more generous, the heart more compassionate, the body larger and strong enough to hold it. What he is saying is that anger is truly part of us and it shouldn't be neglected. It needs to be realized and looked after. That makes us, as humans, more capable and stronger. If we suppress it, our minds come clouded and we shut down and close ourselves off. I truly believe that anger has a place for good. We are never told in the Bible to suppress or hide our anger. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, instructs us, in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on our anger. Paul is, not, is telling us not to avoid anger or suppress it or ignore it, but to deal with it properly in a timely manner. Put it to good and constructive use as it will free you from the burden of guilt. As a bit of encouragement, according to research conducted by Henry Evans and Colm Foster, emotional uh, intelligence experts and authors, the highest performing people and the highest performing teams tap into and express their entire spectrum of emotions. But like all gifts, it takes time, practice, nurturing, and controlling. And hopefully when you put the, uh, all the above into practice, unlike the Hulk, you will like me when I'm angry. Let us pray. Lord, we know when the situation gets tough 
when we are challenged with certain situations, Lord, that our base reaction is going to be anger, Lord, and that that reaction sparks a wild reaction, Lord. We just ask now, Lord, for guidance when we're in a situation like that, Lord, that you can guide us, teach us, help us learn how to use that anger and just use it for good because ultimately it's there for a reason. Lord, just... We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like you. And sometimes our own frustrations prevent us from doing that. And so, Lord, we just ask that you start using anger in a constructive and hopeful way. But people react in a positive way. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.